Hello, ladies and gentlemen. What's up? Thanks for tuning into the podcast. This episode features James Barrett. James is the author of a fascinating book titled Our Final Invention, Artificial Intelligence, and the End of the Human Era. The book explores the possibility, or maybe even a better word is inevitability, of AI and how its emergence could spell the end of of us, of human beings. And I encourage you to check out his book. In fact, I recommend it, but, but if you don't think that I'm important enough, Elon Musk cites this book as one that everyone should read. And I'm in the process of, of, of reading through it right now. And I, I think that it is an incredibly fascinating topic. I surround myself with a lot of people. I work in computational physics. Okay, A lot of the physics I do is done with the aid of a computer. And a lot of the people that I spend my time with, a lot of the people I'm around, they're very knowledgeable in the world of computers. And one thing that is a, is a common theme is that they're all very scared of the emergence of AI and the types of things that, that it could do. And I wasn't until I, until I interviewed James. And so, with that being said, I hope you enjoy our conversation. When James isn't focusing his efforts on AI, he's producing and directing documentaries, his work has been featured on National Geographic, Discovery, PBS, and several other places. And he's just a very fascinating individual. And actually, I think our conversation was, was quite entertaining, quite insightful. And I hope that you enjoy it. This is the State of the Universe with your host, Brendan Drackler. Four, three, two, one. James Barrett, I saw that. You wrote a book. I was, okay. I'm surrounded by people who are incredibly, incredibly knowledgeable in the world of computing uh, because I'm a physicist and I mainly do computational physics. So I'm mm-hmm. constantly surrounded by these computer scientists who understand things like artificial intelligence way beyond the, the point that I understand it. And they are all really scared of the things to come. And I didn't fully understand why they were so scared. So I thought, I better get someone who knows this at the top, top level. And so I saw that you wrote a book. It's called Our Final Invention. Can you go ahead and give us a synopsis of the book? Sure. Um, The main thesis of the book is that artificial intelligence is a dual-use technology capable of great good and great harm. It's a lot like nuclear fission in that way. In fact, the, uh, the standard text on AI is called AI, a modern approach. And in the Introduction to that, it was written by Russell and Norvig, uh, both very, very high-level AI programmers. Um, in the introduction, it says, oh, and by the way, at, the most, at, at advanced levels, AI will be more sensitive than fusion, meaning it's uh, not fusion, um, meaning that, that it, it, it could cause, it could cause uh, terrific, terrific damage. I meant not fusion. Yeah. Was there ever, uh, like, okay, when this book was just an idea in your head, was there a specific fact, like a specific piece of information that inspired you, that scared you into writing this entire book? And if so, what was it? You know, it's interesting. uh, My book came out in in 2013, and I was writing it really since about 2009. What happened was uh, 10 years ago, I'm, I'm a documentary filmmaker most of the time, and about 10 years ago I made a film that had uh, uh, Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke in it and uh, Rodney Brooks, who's a roboticist, 
and Ray Kurzweil, who's a thinker and now one of the lead engineers at Google. And uh, Kurzweil and Brooks were very optimistic about the time coming up when we'll share the planet with smarter than human machines. And I was pretty optimistic about it as well. This was around the year 2000. But then I spoke with Arthur C. Clarke, who was, before he was a science fiction writer, he was a, he was a mathematician and, and, and physicist. And he said, oh, it's not going to be that way. Intelligence will win out in whatever form. And he said, he said something like this, uh, we humans steer the future, not because we're the fastest or the strongest creature, but because we're the most intelligent. When we share the planet with something more intelligent than we are, they will steer the future. So that, that put a seed in my mind, uh, a seed of doubt. And I started talking to AI programmers like, like you've been, and, uh, they were, they all had, um, they're all getting grants and getting PhDs and they're pretty up on AI. However, they all would confess to me that, uh, at some point we, we, we could easily lose control of it when its intelligence becomes great. Yeah, that's exactly what I hear. What, one of the things that, that I, I tend to not understand, and this might literally be like asking an economist, why don't we just print money to get out of debt? But isn't there a way to ensure that, that we can just shut it off, a kill switch? You know, it's funny. Google was so uh, sort of cocky and, 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 and arrogant about the, the, what's called the control problem that they said, oh, we just, put, we just installed a big red off button. So you, got, you, you people can go back to sleep now. We, we installed this big red off button. It's going to be okay. Well, the thing about cognitive architectures now is they're not in one place. They're every place. Um, when you ask Siri a question, that, that part of it's answered in your phone and part of it's answered in a, in a, in a big uh, processor center somewhere in California, and part of it's answered in the cloud. And it, it exists. It's, it's almost ubiquitous. It exists in many places. There's not going to be, when we, when we reach a, a cognitive architecture that's strong enough to threaten us, it won't be in one place. It won't be as easy. Imagine trying to turn off Facebook or imagine trying to turn off uh, Google. You could, you might be able to turn it off temporarily, but not for very long, and it would be extremely difficult to do. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But see, in the in the primitive understanding of of people's minds, I think, and even I sort of do this, is we we assume that the internet as a whole operates fundamentally out of this little box that exists somewhere, and that eventually, you know, if if something goes wrong, we just you know, shut the box off, pull the plug. But it's hard to wrap your mind around the way that the internet and the way that AI truly sort of take hold of, of well, society. And let me help with this. Imagine shutting off the electrical grid. Now, we, we worry about the electro, electrical grid being shut off because people are spying on it all the time and they're dropping back doors into it all the time, especially the Chinese. But the electrical grid is actually very hard to shut off. It's, it's many grids, many interconnected grids. Uh, you can start uh, a cascading blackout, but it, it generally won't go very far because there's not one grid, just like there's not one internet, really. There's not one, one big switch in a, in a warehouse somewhere that says internet on it. Um, it's not, it, it's, it's going to be tough to turn off, if not impossible. And, you know, Elon Musk said, well, we'll go to Mars. As if a, a, an AI um, intelligent enough to threaten us would not be able to go, also go to Mars or come along with us in the in the in the in the computers on this, on this right. spaceship. Well, we would probably have to utilize the AI to even get to Mars. Of course, of yeah. course, and it would be you know AI has, has become ubiquitous. You know, it's 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 uh, as as uh, 
one futurist said, everything that's electrified is becoming cognitized. Everything electrified is becoming cognitized. It's becoming more intelligent. And it's all around us. It's all, all the devices in our home will be, will be smart. Our home itself will be part of the smart grid, which may not be that smart to centralize everything. And then there'll be you know, intelligent factories, intelligent cities. So intelligence is going to be everywhere. And it's already, it's already pretty much everywhere. Yeah. So shutting off is not really going to be an option. Okay. Yeah. Talking about the the eventual machinizing of the world, a lot of people don't realize the way that machines are taking over society even today. For example, uh, this most recent this most recent presidential election, one of the things that Donald Trump really really hedged his bets on was the idea that other people are stealing our jobs. The idea that our jobs are being stolen by the Chinese or our jobs are being stolen by the Mexicans or our jobs are being stolen by someone. But in reality, a lot of the jobs, and this is my understanding, and please tell me if I'm wrong. In reality, a lot of the jobs, if they're leaving the United States, they are not necessarily going to different peoples. They're going to machines. And some of them are even staying in the United States, but just being given to machines to, to handle the processes. I took my, my, one of my children into a McDonald's the other day, and there were three computers that you could order on, and there was a person standing beside each computer. Um, I'm sure when we go back in two weeks, there'll be no one standing beside the computer to help you order. All those jobs are going away. Anything that's slightly repetitive. Gardner and company says that by 2025, one-third of all jobs, this is 2025, one-third of all jobs will be taken by AI, one-half by 2040. I was just reading an interview with the Chinese, the, the head of Google's division in China, and he said, um, you know, it's going, to, it's going to look very, very bad, 50% of all jobs by 2040, and uh, there's not, you know, where do where, where will unskilled labor go? Where, where will that giant number of, of uh, people that, that do repetitive jobs, what will they do for a living? Did you say 50% by 2040? Yeah, 50% by 2040. Wow. This, this came from the president of Google in China. And he's worried about China, of course. Um, you know, China, Foxconn, the largest industrial manufacturer, they make iPhones, is in China, in Foxconn City. They just bought 30,000 robots to replace 30,000 people. So if, if, if China is worried about a labor shortage, then uh, we should be worried about a labor shortage. And I, no, I'm sorry, it's not a labor shortage, it's a job shortage. Right. Yeah, I skilled labor wandering around looking for jobs. It's really important to consider the ethical implications of AI development, I think. And it's something we're not doing right now. And I had someone else on the podcast before who who has a a lot of experience in machine learning uh, and that sort of thing. And he was more optimistic about it. He, He compared it to like a calculator, the invention of the calculator, right? We're, we're getting rid of mundane tasks and, and we're causing humans to have to uh, really use their humanity, their intelligence. What, what do you think about that sort of interpretation? Utopian nonsense. Um, it's, it's, it's the idea that, that we'll have time, that everybody will have time to write novels and paint paintings because they're unemployed. But what, 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 they're, what the, 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 the craziness about it is where, where is their income going to come from? So there's two there's two problems with that. Where does their income come from? And and basic universal in- income doesn't work because it still has to be paid for. And, and and the other problem is we get we we identify with our work. We love our work. You take our work away, and a lot of people will 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 look for trouble or just or just or just vegetate. It will not be a, a, a utopian at all. Right. Um, 
it's, so, a, it, it's, it's this is a, it's a very techno, tech, technologist's idea that when uh, this will liberate us. Yeah, what do you think about you? You mentioned in passing universal basic income. Yeah. Do you think that it could have any benefit? I've, so I've heard a coherent argument for it. What was that? I have not heard a coherent argument for it. Yeah, one of the, one of the things I've heard is that. Obviously, when you hit, when you talk about it on an economic level, yes, someone has to pay for it. It has to be subsidized, right? You can't just generate money and give it to people for free. But no. the the thing I have heard from people talking about this, and and maybe they're not experts, but I've heard that if you give people money, some maybe I don't know, like fifteen thousand dollars a year, right? Not enough to to actually live live on, but enough to sort of survive. Mm-hmm. Then what you'll do is you will. You will create a society where people have a little bit more time, more time to pursue the things that they're passionate about. Oh, that's this is this is you're falling right into the trap. The things that they're passionate about. You know what people are passionate about? They're passionate about doing a good job at their work. Yeah. Oh, it's I not, should say, I, I should say, this is not my belief. This is just what I've heard. Okay. From other people. Shame on them. Yeah. It's the two. The here's here's the again the two problems. Who's going to pay for it? You think. Uh, you know, the technologists say, well, the, the giant amounts of wealth being created by AI will be uh, taxed and then they'll, it'll pay for it. But, but, you know, Google doesn't pay taxes in this country where it makes its money. Google pay tax, pays taxes in, um, in Ireland where there's a very low corporate tax rate. So do a lot of other companies. Apple just repatriated some billions of dollars because they had to. But most of these companies like Facebook, Google, Amazon, look up where they pay their taxes. It's not here. So that tax money is not going to go to us. Right. It's not going to go to the universal basic income. Yeah. You, I, if you give people, if you give people two thousand bucks a month, all you will do is you'll you'll enslave them, you'll you'll disincentivize disincentivize them to uh, to do meaningful work, and you know the the devil has work for idle hands. You will have you will see a spike in uh, in crime. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a dreamy idea that's convenient for, for the people who are, who are making a lot of money from technology. Yeah. I, I am not a, I, a, a year ago, if you took me back one year, I would be a proponent of universal basic income. I would say that it was a good idea. Now, as I'm sort of analyzing it more, I grew up in central Pennsylvania and central Pennsylvania is very much the welfare belt of the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's the disability belt, if you will. And yeah. I see the way that welfare can affect the what you thought would be an incentive doesn't become an incentive anymore. What it does is it becomes an incentive to not do anything, if anything. Yeah. It becomes yeah. an incentive to not pursue something because I'm very, very much a proponent of capitalism, of, of, of money being the motivator for society to invent, to continue to rise up now i think capitalism can be corrupted and i think you see a lot of that happening but money and 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 wealth is very much a motivator for you to continue to to grow as a human being because that's how we have a structured society and by providing people with money by providing people with the means to stay alive i disagree that that could do anything beneficial for society that is my actual belief i was just trying to play devil's advocate before but i i don't think it's a good idea i think giving people money for nothing is a bad idea because I think about what I would do. I'm a highly motivated individual. But even if you started giving me money and making me not go to work, I could only imagine how my productivity would dwindle. 
<laughs> I, I would I would start watching more Netflix. I would start. You play a lot, lot of lot of lot of uh, video games. Yeah, I would just be doing something, oh, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but because I have to survive, because I have to produce something for society in order to survive, two things happen. Number one, I'm highly motivated and I want to achieve things. And number two, society gets some sort of benefit out of it. And you get some sort of benefit out of it. It's good. Exactly. It's good to feel. It's good to feel meaningful. It's good. To, it's good to feel that if you don't do your job, something, something, there's some consequences. It's good to know that you're important. Yeah. Um, none of this universal basic income doesn't doesn't give you any of that. We really do identify with our work, and it's a good thing. Exactly. Um, and it, it's in, in some utopian future, um, there are thousands of of uh, unrequited painters and novelists. And uh, but not in the real world, you know, who, people who people, if you give them a basic income, there's suddenly going to be this giant outpouring of, of novels and paintings and uh, artwork. It's it's such a it's such a it's such a silly concept. Yeah, I, I, I do fundamentally and lately I've been like becoming a real, real doubter of the welfare system we even have in place right now because I see how it can corrupt an individual who is otherwise highly motivated and intelligent. And it corrupts yeah. them to attain the minimum level of achievement. In um, in West Virginia, uh, there's a hugely high unemployment rate, and it's happened over the last 15 years. And that allowed opioids to get a, a foothold. And now West Virginia has the highest mortality rate from opioids in the country because these people are sitting around on the dole. Um, I, I actually come from West Virginia, so I know my town was it was decimated by uh, by opioids. So um, this is it's a good example of what, what happens when you give people a basic minimum income. It, it, it explodes. Yeah, yeah. my town in Pennsylvania is also decimated by, by opioids. And again, there's a huge unemployment rate and a huge poverty rate. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, it's not entirely due to, due to lack of jobs. It's due to the fact that there are avenues that our government has in existence that make certain – welfare very easy to attain essentially a ba a universal basic income that you can get by filling out a few papers mm -hmm. uh, but i, I want to go back to something you mentioned before you mentioned china in passing i have read that i often hear people say this that china is like the ai superpower of the world what is this true and why it's uh they have endless amounts of labor but they don't have endless amounts of innovation i was having this conversation earlier today um they have this the secret of artificial neural networks is that if you take a simple learning algorithm and add a lot of data you get out you get um you get system software that works better than handcrafted models and hand hand program models so we're in this in this period of of of, of deep learning and deep adversarial learning and uh in, in the china excels at that because they they have more data than anyone else. They gather data on their own people all the time. They, it's, it's becoming a huge surveillance state. Um, they have a lot of data. They have a lot of hardworking scientists. Uh, so they can develop apps very quickly and develop uh, business solutions very quickly. What they don't have is much innovation. Nobody ever talks about the giant innovation that just came out of China. Um, their education system and their, their social system doesn't really encourage innovation. The way the way ours does. That's why the insights come out of come out of uh, Silicon Valley and 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 actually Canada with uh, with Jeff Hinton. Um, so, you know, they have the world's biggest economy, 
or the second biggest economy, and they're they're up and coming fast. They've, they also made it a national goal to con- to dominate AI by 2030. And they're like, they like this comes back from the communist days when they were making five year plans and ten year plans and great great leaps forward. They call them. Uh, they they want to dominate AI by 2030. I think they're they're going to be a, a, a serious force. Um, but I don't I don't you know I'm not I'm not I'm not totally sold on on their on their domination and that's only because they they're not giant innovators. You do not see an AlphaGo coming out of China. You don't see DeepMind in China. Just like you don't see DeepMind in Russia. You know, you don't you don't have the same kind of innovation that we have here. Do you think that's built into the education system because here's something I notice. Here's something I notice as a a student in in America. One thing that we do not do good at Americans, a sort of a generalization, but it's something that I have noticed, is our education system, specifically our college education system, does not produce students that are good at standardized exams. We're not good at them. Our 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 levels are are lower than most of the world in terms of our ability to take like the GRE, the graduate examination type thing. But what we are good at is actually doing science. We're not good at taking standardized exams that are supposed to measure our ability to do science. But when it comes to doing science, we're damn good at doing science. Yeah. But we we really have a, a tr- tough time, at least my <clears throat> peers, getting into to top schools because some of the things, some of the indicators they look at are standardized test exams. And <clears throat> Asian countries do incredibly good on standardized tests because <clears throat> something well, about the uh, <laughs> something about the education system in China in particular, really gives birth to this like ability to be uniquely average. And I I have no other way to put it than that. Well, you raised an interesting point and I don't, I don't know much about this, but I'll tell you what I, what I, what I, what I think. Um, They, their education system, I think up through, up through high school, James, um, a lot of countries beat us in in, in education. I, I lost you there at the beginning. Yep. Can you repeat that, please? Can you repeat that, please? Sure. Um, I think their education system in China and in a lot of the world is better than ours up through secondary school. Um, they 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 go to many countries go to school all summer. They they work harder. They work longer. They're, we're the worst country at math, I think, than 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 any developed country. Right. Um, however. There aren't any world-class universities in China. There aren't any world-class universities across the Middle East. Uh, there are no world-class universities in Africa, and there might be one or two just in in, in broader Asia. The world-class universities tend to be in uh, Europe and and the U.S. So we're better at second at 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 at, uh, at college and and graduate education. Yeah, and so that's why, and that's why our our colleges are full of Asians, which is which is great because then they stay here and add to our plurality and add to our strength. Correct, but but some of the issues, at least that I see, is that the Asians tend to get into the colleges because of their ability to be very good at those sort of the basics that they learn throughout high school. Yeah, because some yeah. something about um, the American education system K through twelve does not prepare you for standardized exams. And I don't think it should. I should say that. I think standardized exams are, are utterly useless at gauging you know, one's ability to you know. do stuff. <laughs> well, until something better comes along, I think we're going to be stuck with them. Yes. I don't think we have time. The reason we have them is because they're giant labor savers. Yes. We don't have time to go through, you know, long convoluted 
exam, you know, uh, tests of each person on on many on, on many dimensions. I agree. I agree completely. Did you uh, did you see while we're on this topic? Did you see that Harvard is currently being sued because of their discrimination against Asians for this exact reason? Uh, I heard. I read something about that. Yes. I guess, so they. So- they because they looked at that as a primary indicator, they started to realize something. Ah, we are only yeah. accepting Asian students, so now they have to like purposely try to bring in people that aren't Asian, even though, according to their indicators, the Asians are are better students. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we also there's also a lot of. Uh, I'm not saying this comes out of China, but China cheats so much on copyright. I have a book published in China, and I've yet to see royalties from it. Um, it just gets swallowed up and then copied. Um, they have, they have, they have, they do not have a hard time doing things like cheating on exams. They look at it as um, a, a group, a group uh, success. So they, you know, I, 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 I think there's probably a lot of that in there too. A lot of inflated scores coming from China. Yeah, I, it's interesting that you mentioned that because my wife told me this one time. She was in a in her undergraduate, she was in a, a, a test, some some business exam or something. And and the teacher noticed a Vietnamese student using her phone. And the Vietnamese student was very surprised when the teacher said you cannot use your phone to look up the answers. Uh, the because apparently the and I, I don't know if this is all of Vietnam, I'm not generalizing, but this specific student got so used to being able to cheat on the exams in her home country that mm-hmm. she she was surprised to learn wait a minute we can't just we can't just look up the answers uh, well so, the interesting, yeah but it's you, you the word cheat is pejorative if everybody's doing it it's not cheating it's correct. just yeah. she's, she she was used to having that resource exactly yeah uh, I back to ai i want to go back to ai yeah I, let's I, get back to ai yeah i know i know yeah, I, I, I tend to ramble pretty, this is why pretty well i think we slandered pretty much all of asia now so let's get back to ai yeah that's true this is why i tend to do like three two to three hour podcasts because my my mind just rambles but but does anybody listen to two to three hour podcasts yeah Yeah. i'm i'm hard pressed to listen to a you know 15 or 20 minute podcast yeah even i listen to to like three hour what well what i do if you have a good podcast player it'll save your spot you can come back to it later and it's very very flowy but if you listen to it on like my website, then you have to like find your spot every time. So that's annoying. But if you listen to it on like iTunes, it's great and it's wonderful. But so going forward, I I was sort of trying to prepare my brain for talking about AI coming into this podcast. And I, I read about right now we're sort of at the artificial intelligence level and we're trying to get to the artificial general intelligence level. Yes. And there's a gap there. Can you talk about what the gap is and what the difference is? Well, um, right now we've got really good <clears throat> applications that are smarter than us in very narrow domains, uh, smarter than us at knowledge retrieval, at search, at theorem proving, at navigation, at rec- even at recognizing objects, even at reading some some cancer uh, X-rays and detecting cancer. We have we have narrow applications. What we don't have now these are they do one thing. Like AlphaGo beat the world's champions at the game of Go, but AlphaGo can't navigate. Um, you know, our intelligence is general. We can navigate and play Go pretty well. We can play chess. We can play instruments. We can learn languages. We can translate. We can do all these different things in one unified cognitive architecture. So we've got it all over AI for now. Um, However, once AI develops, you know, you can see with AI these pools of expertise growing. 
And so, and gradually they'll, they will form a, a general intelligence, whether that comes through deep learning or someone comes up with a really good theory of mind, uh, which some people think is the sort of the missing link between where we are now and, and general intelligence. What's going to happen though, is we're going to create, you know, we've created machines that are better than us in a lot of, in a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, tasks. What's going to happen is that we're going to create machines that are better than us at research and development into artificial artificial intelligence, and that idea is is paraphrasing an idea called the intelligence explosion. It was put up by a statistician named I.J. Good. I've got a whole chapter about him in my book, Our Final Invention. Um, and he posited that uh, we'll make machines that are better than us at everything, including making intelligent machines, and then the rate of intelligence will grow. Uh, exponentially fast and we won't be setting it anymore uh, the machines will be setting it and so that's you know that's where we're headed we're headed for that that future and that's the future that Elon Musk is worried about that Bill Gates has has, has worried about that the late Stephen Hawking worried about that uh, Wozniak and so many others uh, Stuart uh, Russell who the co-author of the standard text on AI they're all worried about it um, we have control now but we're developing uh, machines, intelligent machines so quickly and without really any kind of ethical supervision that it's just a matter of time before we make a machine that's, that's really, really does better at us at making smart machines. So how do we fix it? How do we put in ethical guidelines to, to make these programmers say, take a step back, so somehow test the machine? How do you test it? How do you ensure it's not going to take you over? Like, well, we're, we're, we're pretty far away still, fortunately. We have a window. Um, although I think AlphaGo surprised everybody and AlphaGo Zero. Deep, Deep Mind is really a great company, but they're also the one that keeps me up at night. Um, I, think, I, I think what has to happen is we're going to need some oversight by government. Just the way that nuclear fission, we have the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency. They can go into uh, refineries. They can go into silos and they can check everything that's happening with, with nuclear energy, we need, with nuclear fission, we need, we need something like that for AI. And unfortunately, we're going to need it pretty fast. And I'm, I'm the last person to recommend government regulation. But uh, I think that that's, that's the way we, to, to proceed safely forward. Yeah, I, I read, I was reading that one of the big issues with AI is that it's primarily developed by companies, okay? And because it's, and that's not a problem. It's good that the companies are trying to utilize the software. But one of the problems is that the general public or the government, for that matter, generally has no access to the algorithm or the way that it works because it's owned by private organizations. And so there's a lot of development that can go on that supersedes even the public's understanding of the types of developments that are happening. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, um, and the government is not known for its technological acumen. Right. I mean, they hire they hire almost every AI maker I interviewed for my book, Our Final Invention, had worked on government contracts for DARPA at one time or another. DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. They make all the all the cool stuff that we don't hear about for years, if ever. And the trouble is, the government has has had AI and used it very irresponsibly. The NSA tapped into uh, the communications lines of Google and um, Yahoo overseas and put together your telephone book and mine and all, and, and all your contacts. So 
it's not it's, it's not as if the government has a has a has a perfect record of being honest and straightforward when they get their hands on AI. So, but but they're unfortunately they're, they're the best chance we have at creating a uh, an unbiased and objective governing uh, body. Yeah, it it is certainly scary. Does it does it actually keep you up at night? Do you do you actually stay awake and and wonder if if you if if we're going in a wrong direction? I, I feel certain we're going in in a, in a direction, but I don't think there's anything. I'm, I'm a little bit uh, f- fatalistic about it. I I, I do want to see I do want to see regulation. I do want to see transparency and openness. Um, I'm a little uh, at sea about what we're going to do because I, I don't I see. Um, I see, you know, the companies that are in charge of this technology are not behaving responsibly. You know, Google, Google employs 400 lawyers because it's been sued in 20 countries for everything from privacy violations to predatory business practices to stealing copyright. They make companies disappear by making them vanish on their, on their, in the web search. And then they take over uh, the company's niche in the market. Um, Apple has, is still working with Foxconn. Foxconn, the industrial manufacturer, has a lot of suicides. In uh, 2011, they had 14. And their solution was to put up suicide nets on their tallest buildings and then to stop reporting suicides. Um, Facebook is, is just sold your, all, our, all our data to Cambridge Analytica, which sold it to Russia, which used it to influence our last presidential election. And they also sold it to China, to Chinese companies, which means the Chinese government now has all your information everything you've ever put on Facebook. So the people in charge of this technology are behaving like, you know, they're, they're, they're behaving just ridiculously irresponsibly. So this is an interesting sort of like ethical, ethical wormhole. Uh, is it the actual technology that scares you? Or is it humans utilizing no. the technology? No, I think the technology you? is beautiful. I, th- I, like, I like AI, uh, despite the title of my book. Um, I think AI is brilliant. I think it's 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 fascinating because it's the most inward-looking science we've ever had. It it asks us really in a very profound way who we are, blending as it does neuroscience and and language acquisition, and object recognition, and uh, theorem proving and and mathematics and all the cool things we do. We're trying to make it do. So this is this wonderful wonderful loop going on. However, the people the people who are uh, gaining terrific wealth by it are, um, you know, as we used to say in philosophy class, they have whiskey on their breath. Uh, they're not, I don't think they're trustworthy. Yeah. As Steve said, the problem in the short term is who controls the AI. The problem in the long term is can the AI be controlled? Right now, we've got the problem in the short term. Who The people controlling it, you know, really can't be trusted. We tend to look at... This is, I always sort of get this quandary in my head. Should we be looking at AI as a new species or as an evolution of the human species? It's an interesting idea. Um, and I, I, that's been around for a while. It's not yet a new species. It's just an extension of our, our creativity right now. I think it's totally possible and likely that advanced cognitive architectures will, will, will behave independently of us and, and they'll be thousands of times more intelligent than we are and we won't understand what they're doing anymore um one of the things stephen hawking worried about was that uh super intelligent machines could create weapons that we don't even understand 
So I think that, that we're on the tra trajectory to create uh, uh, entities that are completely separate from us. Do you think that, all right, so imagine we could, could go forward 2,000 years, right? And, and 2,000 years AI just wiped out the planet and, and we have a, a whole planet of machines. If you were a philosopher in those days, 2,000 years from now, and you looked back, the question is, would you just look at this as a natural evolution? Like humans evolved from monkeys and machines evolved from humans. And we don't necessarily yeah. think about the humans. We just think yeah, about the evolution. It's the natural, maybe it's the natural order of things. I don't think the planet will necessarily be occupied, or if it's occupied, it won't be the only planet that's right. occupied. Because um, we, we have reason to believe that you know, super intelligent machines will also need resources. So they'll, they'll be exploring the, the solar system and then the, then the, then the galaxy. So they'll be, they'll be off. They might be here as well. I'm not sure if we'll be here. Um, so yeah, it may be it may be kind of the natural order of things. That's it's one solution to uh, you know Fermi's paradox. Enrico Fermi asked, with so many Goldilocks zones in the plant in in the in our in our galaxy, why don't we why haven't we heard from anybody? And the one of the answers is, well, there's this there's this big filter called AI, and nobody gets past it. <laughs> I I'll close on this. I'll close on this little anecdote of my own life. I was at a talk last week by someone who was involved in Project Starshot. Are you familiar with that? No. Okay, it's a project. I think it was partially pioneered by Stephen Hawking. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that we take tiny machines and we shoot them off at very near this, not very near, about 20% the speed of light so that we mm -hmm. can explore other stellar systems. Because humans will frankly never be able to explore other stellar systems with the technology we have now in one singular human lifetime. And so right. the point of this, uh, the reason I bring this up, is because I think no matter how you look at our exploration of the universe, humans are going to have to be left behind. The human influence is going to have to be given to robots to explore the, the world at large. Because we're not going to be able to take a massive human and shoot him off at, at near the speed of light. We don't have the tools. We don't even have tools that are even feasible in the smartest people's minds to be able to sit, we're too big, we're too massive, we're too clunky, we need too much stuff. And, and this guy, this expert in, in this, this project even mentioned this, humans are costly, robots are cheap. We can do a lot of things with robots. We can ship them off to other star systems, they don't need water, they don't need to breathe, they don't need to be at high temperatures. In fact, mm -hmm. most of them are perfectly fine sitting at the temperature of space. Mm -hmm. And so it is inevitable that if we explore the universe, it won't be us. It will be our surrogates, our robots going off. And so with that being said, I think that if people think the future of humanity is to explore the stars, it's not humanity exploring the stars. It's the robots exploring the stars. I think that's a, that's a, that's a reasonable assumption. I, I, I think that, you know, you, as you said, I mean, we're, we're mostly composed of water. We're not going to be able to do space travel very, very well. Yeah, and so with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, James's time is up. Uh, I hope that you check out his book, Our Final Invention. I just purchased it. I'm going to be reading it, and hopefully once I read it, James, we can have maybe a more intelligent or more in-depth conversation about specific pieces of the book. <laughs> okay. Um, I just had to read a different book for a different guest this past week, so I've been full of words lately. But I really want to check out your book. I'm interested in this. I'm interested in the places we can take it. I'm interested in where it's going.
And I thank you for attending, and I thank you all for listening, and we're out. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, people. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review or a subscription or whatever the hell you want to do. Just don't forget to do whatever that thing is. Enjoy your day. You're a beautiful human.